0: Thank you so much. After that introduction, I can't wait to hear myself speak. I need to explain something to you all right from the very beginning, and that is that in Australia we speak English. Believe it or not, what you're listening to is English. As you've just heard, uh, just recently, Gail and I were down in Jamaica, in Kingston, working there with Uncle Keith and Bev Phillips, And it would be very remiss of me if I did not begin by bringing greetings from them. He insisted upon me that I greet you all. I guess I cannot greet you all by name. But Uncle Keith wishes that he could be here and is so thankful for this church, for sending him out and for the support that you provide. So uh, it was great to work with him in the many schools and uh, ministries that he's involved in there. And now we're here this week working with Ted and Cynthia and uh, the rest of the team uh, doing a range of things here as well. I guess the name Open Air Campaigners gives a clue as to what we do. Rather than wait for people to come to us, we're going to take the gospel to them. Sometimes it's quite literally in the open air. Now don't think of a rather fanatical person on a street corner with a big black Bible thumping and pointing to the sinners. We often use a sketch board, often at night, with fluorescent paint. We often have drama teams in some countries. Sometimes there's music. Our guys in Paraguay uh, well, were nightclub entertainers before they met Jesus. They used their music in the open air to attract a crowd, and uh, hopefully they'll stay for 20 or 30 minutes and listen to the gospel explained in a way that they can understand and respond to. So that's our ministry to take the gospel out to people. This morning I want to speak for a few minutes with you about not just what we do, but why we do it and uh, to kind of insist that you all get involved. Oh, I don't just mean necessarily with open air campaigners, so that would be great. But you'll see what I mean as we go on. Let's just spend a moment in prayer and then we're going to turn to John chapter 15. Father, whenever we come to your word, there is a sense of awe. There's a sense in which we want to take off our shoes. We stand on holy ground. This morning we ask that you will speak to us, that beyond the Australian accent and strange humour that you will speak to our hearts and help us to put into practice that which we hear today. Lord, we don't just want to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So we ask your particular touch and blessing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read some very well-known words from John chapter 15. Possibly I'll put a slightly different twist on it to what you're used to, but, well, it's not really a twist. It's right here in the text. Uh, You'll see what I mean. John 15 and verse 5, I'm going to read from a new American standard Bible. I'll do my very best to keep the American accent to a minimum. I can't do much about the Aussie. Verse 5 says, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Those That final phrase there probably sums up the work of open air campaigners. You know, when you go to the open air, you're, very, you're really dependent on the Lord. Will people come? Will they stay to listen? Will they throw rocks? You're not quite sure what it's going to be. Will the rain come? We're really in his hands and those words summarize it really. Without him, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now the next verse and also the one after it and also verse 10 begin with a very small but very important word, if. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow. Now that's a promise, isn't it? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Sometimes we neglect the first half of the verse. It's a conditional promise. If you abide, then ask what you wish and it will be done. Verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Well, I'm probably going to speak for 30 minutes this morning, but that's my message. I could sit down now. If you want motivation for evangelism, you've got it right there. You don't need to look any further. Surely, as Christian people, we want to glorify God. Isn't that what we're made for? Isn't that why we're here? We want to see God glorified. How do we do that? By bearing much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, abide in my love. How do we do that? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. When the Lord Jesus spoke those words, it was a mere few hours later that he put that into practice and he proved his words through laying down his life. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? Why did he choose us and appoint us that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So it is that word love that I want to focus on this morning. It is really the summary word of what open-air campaigners exist to do and indeed why we do it. We're going to have uh, four, well five if I include the word love, reasons this morning and it's going to be a little bit of a spelling lesson. Would you hold up your left hand please and make an L shape. If you're not sure which is your left or your right hand, hold them both up and the L shape is on your left side as you look at it. Okay, As you look at it, there's an L on your left and that's kind of back to front. The L word for why we do what we do and why I think you should be involved. The word is lost. Can you show me your hand and say it together? The word is lost. People are lost. It was Bill Hybels who said, Lost people matter to God, so they should matter to us. Now, this is not a very popular doctrine. We don't want to talk about it too much. We want to emphasize the good things about the faith. People don't want to be told. They don't want to hear that they are lost and bound for an eternity in hell if they don't know him. From the very beginning, the devil has tried to minimize this fact. Judgment? Oh, there is no judgment. Don't worry about it. You will not die, he said, in the garden. From the beginning, the devil wants to minimise the fact of the lostness of people and the judgment that is coming. Imagine when I got on the aeroplane to come here. It's a very long way, by the way. And uh, as well as you know the greetings that the steward gives you as you walk through the door, they give you a parachute. Qantas don't actually do that, but imagine they did. You put the parachute on your back and you sit down because the promise is that the parachute will make your journey better. You'll, it'll be more enjoyable. It'll be fun, wear the parachute. So I sit there. Nobody else wears it, by the way, because it's difficult to sit in those little seats. I don't sit up front in the big seats. I sit in cattle class toward the back. And it's a little bit crowded back there with my long legs. Where's the tall brother gone? Not, not, as, not as long as some people's legs. Gail and I have four sons. The youngest is six feet eight inches tall. So he might even just pip you there, I think. You know, it's not too easy wearing that. And, and of course, you're trying to drink your cup of tea and it's a bit crowded and other people are laughing at you. So you take the parachute off. The promise was the parachute would make your journey better. It's making it uncomfortable. It's a little bit awkward. If we only give the gospel in a way which tells people the kind of benefits, this will make your journey better or your life will be great with this, then when the going gets tough and it doesn't seem to work out, they take the parachute off. But when you know that this aeroplane is not going to land You're going to need that parachute. It's your only salvation. There's a judgment coming. You don't mind if people mock you. You don't mind so much if it's a little bit uncomfortable occasionally. Look, don't misunderstand me. Of course the Christian life is better with Jesus. Life is better with Jesus. We know reality. We live the way we ought to live. Mark Twain, that famous American author, He said, I have no problem with sin. I just give in. He says, Christians, you have a problem with sin. Life is not always simple for us. Grass, you know, the weeds grow in our gardens as well. But we cling to him because we know there's a judgment ahead. People are lost. The Bible says there are none who are righteous. All have sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Many years ago, the eldest of our sons, they're all taller than me, but he's only about six foot one or six foot two, that particular one. The eldest boy, when he was about this tall, we were on a holiday up at the Gold Coast in Australia, in Queensland. And uh, it's a place where there's tall hotels right on the beach, And uh, it goes on for miles and miles. Well, Gail and I and the couple of the kids that we had at the time were in a shopping centre. And ladies, well, at least husbands, you know what ladies are like in shopping centres. We just turned for a moment to look at something. And um, it was just a moment. I turned, Simon was gone. But where is he? Couldn't find him. Just near where we were standing was a doorway that went into a games arcade you know all those games that kids like to play so i thought that's where he is so i walked there looked in had a quick look around but i could not see him so i came back out gail was still there holding the other children and one in each hand there were only three at that time i think and i said look you stay here in case he comes back i'll go look around so i began to search here and there occasionally went back to gail no he hadn't come searched a bit more for 30 minutes in this big holiday location, all these tourists like us. I was busily searching for our lost son. I went back to Gale. I thought again, where would I be if I was him? And I looked again at that door. So I went to the games arcade and I looked a little more carefully. In there was one of those racing car games that had a big sort of wrap-around part. You couldn't see anybody in it unless you went right around and looked back inside. Sure enough, there was Simon having a wonderful time. Now, he had no money, but the screen in front of him was changing anyway, so he's busy driving this car and having a terrific time. He did not know he was lost. He was having a wonderful time. He did not know that his father was desperately searching for him. People today are like that. They don't know the lost. They're having a wonderful time, so they think. They don't know that the father is desperately searching. They don't know the joy of being found. People today are, show me your hand, say the word, lost. That's the first reason we want to reach people. By the way, when you get to heaven... You can sing, worship, read the word, fellowship. One, You can do all sorts of wonderful things. The one thing you cannot do is reach the lost. The reason we're on this earth, I believe, is to reach the lost because we can't do that in heaven. All the rest that we do, you can. The only thing you can bring from this world to the next is other people. People are lost. There's a second word. Show me an O this time. The O from the word love is the word obey. Show me the hand. Say it together. Obey. It is simply a matter of obedience. We've been reading this morning in John about obeying his command and love and obedience going hand in hand. Almost the very first thing that Jesus said to his disciples had something to do with with evangelism. The first w- recorded words he spoke to he- those who became his disciples is in John 1, but in Matthew chapter 4. Remember when he called his disciples, what did he say? Follow me and I will make you fishes of men. Notice the order, really important. Follow is first. Folks, we are created to do for God what he cannot do for himself. We are created to worship him. That's why humanity exists. We are to give God glory. We are to be in relationship with him. We want more and more people to do what they were created to do. So we follow, that's first, but immediately we fish. If you're not fishing, you're not following If you follow, you will fish. They go together. Almost the very first thing he said, if follow me and I will make you. Notice it's not a gift. When you read the lists of the gifts of the Spirit, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, evangelism is not on the list. Now I know that in Ephesians 4 it talks about the gift of the evangelist, which is given to the church. But in terms of evangelism, in terms of witnessing, it is not actually a gift. So please don't use that excuse, oh, I haven't got the gift, so I don't have to witness. You know, one of the gifts that is mentioned is faith. On those lists is the gift of faith. Do you ever say, oh, I haven't got the gift, so I don't have to exercise faith? Of course not. It's listed, but nevertheless, we should all have faith. One of the gifts that's listed is giving. Oh, I don't have the gift of giving, so I just let the offering plate go past. I haven't got the gift. Folks, evangelism is not listed as a gift. Witnessing is not something that he gives to us. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is the one that is recorded in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. The one he taught his disciples, the real Lord's Prayer, is John 17. But think of this prayer, the introduction we all know well, our Father who art in heaven. That's the introduction. What's the first thing in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your name. That's the function of life. To hallow him, to hold him up, to tell him how good he is, to worship God. That's the first thing in the Lord's Prayer after the introduction. But what's next? Immediately after hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. First king. Immediately kingdom. First follow. Immediately fish. King, kingdom, think of almost, well, it was the last thing Jesus said before he went back to heaven. This is in Acts chapter 1. Some of you might have been thinking of Matthew 28. Oh, don't worry, I'm an evangelist. I'll get to the Great Commission in just a minute. But at the moment, think of the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, wait for power from on high. That's first in life. Wait on him. Worship him. Follow him king. That's first. But why did they wait? It goes on in verse 8 to say, and you shall be my witnesses. Wait is first, witness is next. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the Bahamas. It's right there in the scripture. The uttermost part of the earth. Well, actually. If you look where Jerusalem is on a globe and you find the very opposite part of the earth, it's kind of in the ocean, the Tasman Sea, between Australia and New Zealand. Actually, Australia is the end of the earth. If you are waiting on him, you will be his witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit is for many things, but those verses in Acts chapter 1 make it clear that the power of the Holy Spirit is for witnessing. Think of an army captain, and he says to uh, the lowly private, go and clean the toilet. Yes, sir. I said go and clean those toilets. Yes, sir. What does the army captain expect? Not just belief, but obedience. Matthew 28, the famous Great Commission, says go. It's repeated at the end of Luke's, uh, Mark's Gospel in Mark 16. Go in Luke 24. Go in John 20. That's the second to last chapter. It's slightly different, as you'd expect in John's Gospel. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He says, go, 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 as the Father sent me, so I send you. You know, when I was very young, if my mother used my whole name Robert, not just Rob, everybody called me Rob, but if my mother used my whole name Robert, and if she had to repeat herself, I was in trouble. Here's God repeating himself. Perhaps he knows that we're hard of hearing. I heard a man preach a sermon once, which was entitled, What part of go do you not understand? So we reach people because they are lost. Show me your elves. Let me hear the word, lost. We reach people because it's a matter of obedience. We want to obey. And the third word, just make Churchill's famous, be careful which way you put your hand around. But this is the word of Value. Can you say it with me? Value. We want to reach people because of the value of the human soul. Now, when God created everything except people up until the point of creating people, he said something about it. He described creation as good. Then finally he made people. They were so hard to make. He had the rest afterwards, but then he made people, right? He didn't say good. What did he say? Very good. We are the most valuable part of God's creation. Don't misunderstand me. We ought to look after the natural resources of this world. Trees and rocks and oil and cats and dogs are all very important, but they are not made in the image of God. Only us. We are the most valuable part of God's creation because we are made in God's image. Creation, we're told in Psalm 19 and Romans 1, reveals God's glory. It's important. But we're the ones who are made in his image. Now imagine I'm a rich man. You need a very good imagination now. But imagine I'm a rich man. I'm a missionary. I'm not rich. But uh, you know, here in the Bahamas, you've got lots of tourism um, I want to own a hotel or two. In fact, just the other day, we were across there to have a look at Paradise Island. Not quite sure why I'm pointing. Not quite sure which way it is, but am I pointing the right way? Oh, I am, very good. I kind of thought we'd drive in there. I want to own Atlantis. Oh, that's not enough, though. I want to own a bit more than just Atlantis. I mean, it's not big enough. I want to own that new Bahama when they finish down there. In fact, why don't I own every tourist facility in the Bahamas? That's not enough. You're in the Atlantic, but I want to own all the Caribbean tourist places and people have to get there. So I want to own the airlines and I want to own the boats and all that and the oil to put in those things to make them go. I I want to own the world. I'd be rich. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? One soul is more valuable than the world. So how much value would you place on many souls? If one is more than this whole world, how much value for many? Well, had you been there nearly 2,000 years ago, and if you'd held out your hand, you could have held in your hand, or at least touched, the substance, the price that was paid. For many souls, because the blood of the Son of God himself, the most priceless thing in this universe, the lifeblood of Jesus was the price that was paid to buy many souls. People are valuable. Show me your L. We reach people because they are lost. We reach people because we want to obey. We reach people because of the value of the human soul. Now turn your hand sideways there. If you want to, you can put your finger in there, but it's not really necessary. Now you're making the E, an L-O-V-E. The E is the word eternity. Can you say it with me? Eternity. We want to reach people because of what is at stake. We're not just talking about this life. We're talking about the life to come. We're talking about eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I love the word but in the Bible. I mentioned earlier Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but. I love that word. But the gift of God is eternal life. Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity into the heart of man. Some years ago, I was at the Hilton Hotel in Adelaide at a breakfast. There was about 20 Christian leaders there. Uh, I wasn't paying for the breakfast. We were being hosted by a rich man, a rich Christian man. He's written books and numbers of other things. And He spoke to the breakfast that morning about his life goal. He's using his money, he's investing his money in some really good projects and his goal in life is to use his money to influence history for 1,000 years after he dies. He wants to invest in projects that will have an ongoing impact for 1,000 years. Wow, we're listening to the man talk about that. Then he turned to me. Uh, why not someone else? He turned to me. He said, Rob, what's your life goal? Oh, I'm sliding down in my seat. This rich man's just talked about impacting history for a thousand years and I, I just want to serve the Lord. You know, I, I was thinking something to say, but I wasn't brave enough to say it. Two reasons I wasn't brave enough. The first Australian men love to exaggerate. I don't know about men in the Bahamas, but if some guy catches a fish this big, the next guy caught one this big, the next one caught. I caught a shark. (laughs) You know, if one man's injured himself at football or something or rather, you know, he's injured his fingers. Oh, that's nothing. You should have seen my elbow and my shot. That was nothing. My back and my leg. Oh, that's nothing. I'm dead. (laughs) We've got to tell one bigger than the last man. It's a rule in Australia. Men have got to do that. So I didn't say what I was thinking, partly for that reason. The second reason I didn't say it was because he was paying for breakfast. <laughs> but you know something? I'm not actually all that terribly interested in the next 1,000 years. I'm interested in eternity. And my life goal is to impact at least some people, not for a 1,000 years, not just for this life, but for eternity, because that's what hangs in the balance. We want to reach people because they are lost, because we obey, because of the value of the human soul and because eternity hangs in the balance. And L-O-V-E is the fifth. And you're pleased to hear the final reason why we want to reach people. Love is our message and it is our method And it is our motive. Love is what we do, the way we do it, and why we do it. You see, our message, the what, it tells us in 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. It also says in that same letter that God is love. So it is love, it is Jesus himself, which is our message. Love is our method. It is the way we do it. Ephesians 4 tells us to speak the truth in love. It's true that people are lost. I've emphasized that today. But in the open air, we don't begin by saying, you sinner, you're going to hell. That's not going to attract people to stand and listen. We're not going to hide the fact that we're not necessarily going to say it from the very first words we speak. Love is our motive. It is why we do what we do. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us the love of Christ constrains us or compels us or urges us. So it is love that ought to be the undergirding of all that we do. I do want to thank you for listening to me this morning. If you have questions you'd like to ask, I'll be around perhaps for a few minutes at least afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about that. I would urge you to not only to hear, but to put into practice to do the things that we've been talking about today. You don't have to come and preach in the open air. I was in Kenya early this year in village situations where four or 500 people would come. Sometimes in India, our men use films. They love films in India and there'll be a 1,000 and they'll preach to them. We do work in schools and just the other day in Jamaica, I spoke to 1,600 primary and junior high school students. You may not be called to do that, but each one of us in love is called to share our faith. May God bless you as you go and bear fruit. Thank you.